Welcome to Current Radio's Science Station. Please enjoy today's selection of science news. Charlotte, I'm sure you're no stranger to the card game set, right? It's been a source of inspiration for mathematicians for quite some time now. Absolutely, Diego, and it seems like AI is also getting in on the action. A system called FunSearch, based on large language models, is helping mathematicians generate new solutions to set-inspired problems. It's quite fascinating. Indeed, it's a game-changer. Pushmeet Kohli, a computer scientist at Google DeepMind, says that this is the first time an LLM-based system has gone beyond what was previously known by mathematicians and computer scientists. It's not just novel, but also more effective than anything else currently available. This is a big shift from previous experiments where large language models were used to solve maths problems with known solutions. FunSearch actually creates requests for a specially trained LLM, which then writes short computer programs to generate solutions to a particular mathematical problem. It's a bit like having a mathematical chatbot. Exactly. It's quite innovative. And the system doesn't stop there. It quickly checks whether the solutions generated are better than known ones. If not, it provides feedback to the LLM for improvement in the next round. It's a constant cycle of learning and improving. Yes, and Bernardino Romero Paredes, a DeepMind computer scientist, says they use the LLM as a creativity engine. Not all programs that the LLM generates are useful, and some are so incorrect that they wouldn't even be able to run, but... But another program can quickly discard the incorrect ones and test the output of the correct ones. It's a smart way to filter out the noise and focus on potential solutions. Right, and they've tested FunSearch on the CapSet problem, which evolved out of the game set. The problem is about finding certain arrangements of three points in an n-dimensional space. But the minimum number of cards that must be revealed to guarantee a solution is unknown. And that's where FunSearch came in, right? It was able to improve on the lower bound for n equals 8, by generating sets of cards that satisfy all the requirements of the game. It's not a proof, but it does go beyond what was known before. Exactly, and one of the key features of FunSearch is that people can see the successful programs created by the LLM and learn from them. It's not a black box, but a tool for human-machine collaboration. And that's a point Jordan Ellenberg, a mathematician at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, emphasizes. He sees these AI tools not as a replacement for human mathematicians, but as a force multiplier. It's all about enhancing human capability, not replacing it. From the high-tech world of AI and mathematics, we now move on to the intriguing realm of geology and climate science. While technology is helping us solve complex mathematical problems, it is also aiding our understanding of our planet's history and its future. Speaking of which, there's been a groundbreaking discovery beneath icy surface of Greenland. Let's delve into this fascinating story. Diego, have you heard about the longest rock core ever extracted from beneath Greenland's ice? It might hold some critical clues about the rate of the island's ice melting due to global warming. Indeed, Charlotte. It's fascinating how these rock cores can provide valuable insights into the Earth's past climate. From what I understand, Preliminary analysis of the rock and sediment suggests that it was exposed to air in the past three million years, implying that the ice above it had melted away at least temporarily. Correct, Diego. 
And this is significant because it adds to the growing number of studies that use Greenland's bedrock to understand the instability of the overlying ice in the past. It's especially important because it's the first such material collected in decades and contains more bedrock material than ever before from beneath Greenland's ice. The Green Drill Project, right? It's a $7 million undertaking that managed to drill through 509 meters of ice at a site called Prudhu Dome, pulling up 7.4 meters of frozen sediment and rock. Quite an impressive feat, considering the technical challenges involved in. Exactly, Diego. And to understand whether ice covered a particular location in the past, researchers look for radioactive isotopes that are produced in rock when it is exposed to air and cosmic rays. The Green Drill team's preliminary analysis suggests that the core contains high levels of beryllium-10, a key isotope used to study bedrock exposure. That's right. And the amount of beryllium-10 corresponds to around 40,000 years of exposure to air. This exposure could have been a single event or multiple episodes spread over the past few million years. If the Prudhoe Dome site was indeed ice-free, whether for short periods of time or a long one, then Greenland must have melted enough to contribute between 19 and 73 centimeters of global sea level rise. However, it's important to note that these findings are preliminary. The sediments could have been disturbed or moved around, and the measurements still need to be confirmed. But there are smaller amounts of beryllium-10 in the rock beneath the sediment, which supports the idea that it was all exposed to air. True, Charlotte. And let's not forget about the few rock and sediment cores that have been retrieved from beneath Greenland's ice in the past. The GISP-2 core, for example, extracted in 1993, shows signs that the site was ice-free several times in the past 2.6 million years. Similarly, a core drilled in 1966 in northwest Greenland suggests that that site was ice-free for an unknown period of time, around 400,000 years ago. It's fascinating how these rock cores serve as time capsules, providing insights into the Earth's past climate and helping scientists predict future climate patterns. This research is crucial as we continue to grapple with the impacts of climate change. Absolutely, Charlotte. It's a sobering reminder of the tangible effects of climate change and the urgency of addressing this global issue. It's not just about the melting ice, but also the subsequent sea level rise and the potential for catastrophic flooding in coastal regions around the world. From the cold depths of Greenland's ice to the warm, vibrant ecosystems of the world, let's transition to a story that brings the marvels of nature right to our fingertips. We're moving from the sobering realities of climate change to an exciting initiative that aims to bring us closer to the natural world and its diverse inhabitants, right in the heart of Orlando. Charlotte, have you heard about the new exhibit at the Orlando Science Center? Diego, are you referring to the LIFE exhibit? I've heard it's quite a spectacle. That's the one. It's a multi-million dollar project that's designed to immerse visitors in a 360-degree experience of nature. From monkeys overhead to alligators basking nearby and even burrowing owls. And not to forget the sharks in the 10,000-gallon aquarium. It's quite an ambitious project, isn't it? the most expensive in the center's history, I believe. Absolutely, Charlotte. The exhibit is funded by tourist tax revenue and a generous donation from one of the Science Center's trustees. It's being built on the ground level of the museum, where the Nature Works exhibit and Kidstown area 
used to. Yes, and they've moved the Kids Town area to the second level. The new design aims to get visitors closer to the animals, creating a more intimate experience. The exhibit will feature five times the number of animals the Science Center had before. And it's not just about the quantity, Charlotte. The variety is impressive, too, with 300 individual animals from 100 species. They'll be grouped into three areas, representing the ocean, rainforest, and swamp. The exhibit is still under construction, but visitors can already get a glimpse of it from the second floor entrance. There's also a lot of work being done behind the scenes, with water pumps, filtration systems, UV sterilizers. And let's not forget about the educational aspect. The exhibit will feature projections and digital displays that provide information about the animals. For example, visitors will be able to see what a gator sees and how their eyes absorb color. It's all about teaching and and raising awareness about environmental issues, too. The staff will talk about the rising temperatures of Florida's waterways, which is a significant local concern. The exhibit will also highlight the impact of building collisions on bird populations. Exactly, Charlotte. The goal is to inspire empathy and make visitors realize that we share this planet with these creatures and need to do our part to take care of them. It's a powerful message and and one that's delivered in an immersive and engaging way. From the free-flying birds and sloths in the rainforest area to the burrowing owls and gopher tortoises in the swamp section, it's a unique experience that brings visitors closer to nature. I couldn't agree more, Charlotte. It's an exciting development, and I can't wait to see the finished exhibit when it debuts this spring. While we are on the topic of environmental conservation and our responsibility towards our planet, Let's cross the Atlantic and take a look at some significant developments in the European Union. There's a new initiative called the Nature Restoration Law that's making headlines. It's an ambitious law aimed at restoring a significant portion of land and marine areas by 2030. Let's delve deeper into this. Charlotte, let's switch gears and discuss the Nature Restoration Law, or NRL, which is making waves in the EU. It's a bold initiative that mandates restoration measures on at least 20% of land and marine areas by 2030 and all ecosystems in need of restoration by 2050. Indeed, Diego, it's an ambitious plan and includes specific targets such as the rewetting of peatlands and increasing pollinator populations. The NRL has already cleared several hurdles, including approval by the EU Parliament's Environment Committee. But will it achieve its goals? That's the million-dollar question. A group of scientists involved in large European projects on nature restoration and biodiversity have analyzed the NRL's potential. And they seem optimistic, don't they? According to Professor Dr. Daniel Herring from the University of Duisburg-Essen, the NRL avoids several pitfalls that often obstruct the implementation of European policies. It sets ambitious targets, clear timelines, and doesn't need to be transposed into national law. That's true. But they've also highlighted that national implementation will be crucial for the NRL's success. Targets are precisely defined and binding, but the steps to achieve them are left to individual European countries, and most are voluntary. And that's where the challenge lies. Cooperation with land users, particularly in agriculture, will be key. As Dr. Guy Pierre points out, intensive agriculture is still a key driver for biodiversity loss in Europe. Yet, agriculture and nature restoration could be coordinated to benefit both. Exactly. Healthy soils, increased pollinator populations, 
and improved water storage capacity in the landscape are all targets of the NRL, and these are elements that can directly benefit agriculture. So, the authors conclude that funds provided by the EU's Common Agricultural Policy need to be used for achieving the NRL's aims. This is sure to spark some intense debate in both scientific and application circles. Absolutely. While the outlook for the NRL is positive, the authors caution that its success hinges on ambitious national implementation and cooperation with economic sectors. It's a significant step, but there's a long road ahead before we see the full impact of these restoration efforts.